The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Welcome to Afternoons with Mike, heard daily here on The Shepherd. I've got three guests all teed up for us today, lined up to share their stories and what God has put upon them. And on the line with me, a first-time guest on my program, Melinda Hudson, is a nurse, and she's an author of a book. It's the outworking, really, of her life and what's been going on in her life in the last number of years. The book is on forgiveness. She's going to be sharing her story. So first of all, welcome, Melinda. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Well, again, you were and are still a nurse, but your story that um, kind of led you down the path to writing this book is uh, a, a tough one to hear, but one that's very important. And I can't even imagine what it was like for you to go through. But uh, bring us in on the details. You were a registered nurse, a new nurse. You dreamed of being a nurse yes. for most of your life, right? Yes. I dreamed of being a nurse from the time I was six years old. And we lived with my grandparents for about four years. So I was the nurse to grandma and granddaddy, mama, daddy. And yeah, all my life, I, I wanted to be a nurse and um, went to nursing school. Um, I had one professor tell me because I went to a Christian school, high school. He said, you will never be able to you know, graduate from this program. But I did. Um, I started working in labor and delivery right after um I found out that I had passed the the boards, and so that's where I was working. And um, the story basically is, you know, all of us have trauma in our lives, and some trauma is severe, and some trauma isn't quite as severe. Well, I've been working in labor and delivery for five months. A patient died, and three experienced nurses tried to blame the death on me. Um, by doing this. They thought that they were going to be able to um, get away with the things that they had, do had done. Mm. Now, that didn't happen, <laughs> um, but that's what they thought. And so they were pinning something that was not your responsibility. Was there actual negligence involved in this problem? Yes, sir, there was. And they settled out of court for $3.2 million for wow. conspiracy and fabrication of the records. Okay, so that was admitted then, and you were the end of, ended up being cleared from that. Yes, sir. Well, that I'm yes, glad sir, for I that, really but I, that wasn't the whole of the story, right? What now? I'm sorry. I said that wasn't the whole of the story. It wasn't like that everything was just went back to being just great. I mean, it had a big impact right. upon you, right? It did. I I want, you know, because I wanted to be a nurse, I decided like to try to go in patients' homes to be a nurse, but it was almost like nurse equal panic attack. You know, I had been to the doctor, they had given me medication, but I still would have panic attacks when I tried to be a nurse. And that was all because you hadn't had that before this incident happened. No, sir. Yeah. No, sir. This is all I new stuff. Yes, I actually did CPR on the 16-year-old girl that passed away, too. So vividly, I had a picture of her in my mind. Oh. And I had dreams and ended up with post-traumatic stress disorder. But I had, you know, lots of dreams and um, ended up going into the pharmaceutical industry after three years of trying to work in patients' homes with pediatric patients and having so much anxiety. Well, I, I can't even imagine what it would be like to do what you did to have that effort and then to, for it to turn around and be pinned on you as the responsible cause of a death. That had to be horrible. It definitely, it definitely was. And, you know, at that time, like many others, it's kind of like, God, why, you know, why is this happening to me? Yeah, right. This is what I wanted, you know, this is all I wanted to do, and I loved it. And um, just like other things that happen in our lives, we don't know at that time why God allowed it to happen. Right. But what I was determined is that I was not going to be a victim. And so 
I went into pharmaceutical sales and that is, um, but I did eventually do nursing and still do some nursing now, but it took a while. The all. feelings of being accused of something that you didn't do. And I'm grateful that this settlement kind of cleared your name from yes, it, sir. but then that still leaves you with the baggage of, uh, of right. what could be a big pill of bitterness in your heart. Right. And you know, the thing um, that I didn't know at the time but is that, you know, our subconscious mind records everything we do. And when we don't forgive, not only does our subconscious mind record that story, but it, re it keeps the emotions attached to that story. So you end up with harbored anger, harbored bitterness. Yes. And that is where we end up being able to link now because we have 35 years worth of research on the science of forgiveness. So I can basically tell you for sure, if you don't forgive, you will get sick. I can't tell you when, can't tell you what you have, but I can tell you it could be anything, including cancer, heart attacks, stroke, anything you can think of. And that's, and the reason why is because that information, like I said, the emotion, the information is there, but the emotion is there too. Mm -hmm. And when our, and when our subconscious mind gets triggered by something that reminds the subconscious mind of that event, and we don't even know this is happening in our subconscious mind, when it gets triggered, it recalls the event, it releases the hormones, but they're not utilized because nothing is really happening. And that's how our bodies become toxic. So the same subconscious mind that helps us breathe and our temperature, and it also regulates the release of hormones. And that's the key to one of the keys to this is because if you don't forgive, then you will get sick. Mm -hmm. And most people don't know how to forgive. And so one of the things that, you know, that's in the book is processes of forgiveness. One of the ones that, you know, I came up with probably about 20 years ago, how I could forgive these people, because in Sunday school, I remember the teacher saying, you know, ask God to help you to forgive. But I said, God, how do I, how do I forgive these people that, I mean, that blame the death of patient on me? Yeah, three different individuals, and you could have gone through the rest of your life with a, a real deposit of bitterness in your heart at these three people, but it would have affected you negatively had you done that. Right. And, and, you know, God gave me great jobs. He gave me, um, you know, more time that I could spend with my family because I was in pharmaceutical sales. It was a lot more flexible. Um, there were so many things. He gave me the opportunity to, to um, work with companies and develop products and, and all kinds of things. And I think he gave me all those opportunities to be to where I, where I am today because in June 15th of 2015 is when God said, Melinda, I want you to write a book. And I was kind of like, God, I can't write a book. You know, my streets are in math and science. I can't write a book. But he told me over and over again. So finally, I stopped working with GlaxoSmithKline and started writing the book. And that's when I found that there was information in there about the science of forgiveness. So we've known forever and ever that God tells us if we want to be forgiven, we have to forgive yeah. and it's so important and it's, um, but we, but we don't know what people don't really know is what happens if you don't forgive. So when I did a survey before I wrote the book, I can't tell you how many people that admitted they were Christians, but they hadn't forgiven someone. Mm -hmm. And yet the Bible teaches us that if we don't forgive others, we will, ourselves could be in a exactly. situation where we're not going to be forgiven by our heavenly father. So this is very important. I think most believers would know that it is important, but what you're saying, the survey results that you found would be that yes, even believers aren't putting that truth into practice in their own lives. Exactly. You know, even in Isaiah, I think it's Isaiah 43, 
Um, it says, forget the former things. Yeah. Don't no. dwell on. If we dwell on the past, we're going to be depressed. If we think about the future, we might be anxious. Yeah. We need to live in the moment. But as far as things that happen in our lives that we um, that are trauma, it's very important that we forgive and we forgive as as quickly as possible. My last chapter of the book is live a lifestyle of forgiveness every single day. Wow. If there's yeah. anything that happened. Now, the book itself is called The Common Denominator is for is unforgiveness the common yes, denominator is unforgiveness now obviously right. that is stating this process of what we're talking about in the negative light of what happens when people do not forgive and you know uh, i i'm a firm believer in this uh, importance of, of forgiveness in our lives and you know that all begins obviously with repentance and, and a feeling of, let's say, a sorrow that leads to an apology. But even in our culture, as simple as an apology is, uh, many in our life today, they don't know how to apologize. They don't know no. how to ask for forgiveness. No, they more than likely they will not apologize. And a lot of it has to do with um, the fact that they they don't want to go to that level, you know, like I'm not going to apologize, you know, for what I did and um, just kind of wipe it away. Very few people apologize, but um, you know, it is important if we can apologize, even if we don't apologize though, we have to, for, you know, in, forgiving is the most important. So even yeah. if you don't apologize to the person, you need to forgive because the forgiveness is for you. Yeah. And don't forget to forgive yourself because probably in that incident, there was probably something that you could have done or said as well. So make sure to forgive yourself first and then forgive others. And one of the best ways to forgive others that I have found is empathy because people hurt people when they're hurting. And if you can step back and look, more than likely over a period of time, you'll find that something was going on that made them react the way that they did. Mm -hmm. So if you can, um, if you can have empathy, it will help you forgive. But um, either way, the forgiveness is the key. What I found interesting is the times that we're living in right now is very difficult for everybody and forgiveness is like an epidemic unforgiveness is like an epidemic yes. um mm -hmm. if we had forgiveness can you imagine people loving one another and caring for one another and the peace that we would have um the health that we would have you know our bodies would be so much healthier because once we forgive our bodies can heal themselves in most situations um, it's called homeostasis, and it's basically your body works to get balanced. So it's balancing those hormones out. And once that happens, people have been healed from cancer, many, many diabetes, many different problems once they truly forgave. You know, I think you're on to something that so many people do not consider, and that is the physical impact the physical ramifications of holding on to bitterness and unforgiveness in our life, it not only wrecks us in our mind and in the anxiety area, like you have mentioned depression and these panic attacks and PTSD and all, but like you said, it, it also impacts things that are physiological in our body and it can produce all these other levels that lead to serious illness or disease. So it's a very important thing. And your book, you lay all this out right in the book yes. the common yes, denominator sir. is unforgiveness yes sir i do and the three scientists like the pioneers that started the forgiveness um the science of forgiveness or mind and body connection was what it was called originally they have their processes of forgiveness too so we know forgiveness is a process we know forgiveness is an action and so you just need to go by these steps they all have you know, pretty much step by, step by step by step to help you to forgive. So yes, you're right. Most people don't realize the connection with unforgiveness and being sick. They 
and, but yet 75% of our medical problems come from unforgiveness. Wow. Because that's quite a stat right there. Right. Unbelievable. And yet it is so basic to our Christian faith. And like you said, so often it's un it's, it's not unbelievers that are, are, are really holding on to things. So often we talk to people that are believers and they don't realize how much they're holding on to unforgiveness again. So it brings not just, if you've just tuned in and you're wondering what the, this particular aspect is that we're talking about, it's not just the mental, it's not just the anxiety that's caused the stress, that level just messes up the peace that should be in our heart as a believer, but it carries on all of these physical ramifications as well. That's correct. And that's the, you know, that's the thing that when they started, it was called the mind and body connection, because they wanted to know if something happened. And, you know, as far as your mind remembering it, did it affect your body? And like I said, they did make that connection, you know, they found that. And, you know, if you think about it, it's kind of simple. I mean, as far as like, if you, um, if something happens, in your life and you're having an argument or whatever, you can feel your heart rate go up. You can feel all kinds of things happen, you mm-hmm. know? Well, unfortunately those same things happen when you don't forgive because your subconscious mind has got that memory in it. And when it gets triggered by one of the five senses, maybe it's a sound that you, you know, was a song that was playing when you actually had the initial um, incident there, but five, different senses it gets triggered and when it does recalls the event releases the hormones and then the hormones aren't utilized and so that's how science can say you're going to get you will get sick you know you will get sick as long as you hold on to it you will get sick it's just when i've talked to many young people that were abused when they were young and they told me i will never ever forgive my stepfather Mm -hmm. and i said hold on one second. What if not forgiving your stepfather could make you very ill? And almost every single one of them already had major medical problems. It's not surprising at all. Oh my goodness. But that's a great illustration right there. We can somehow feel justified in holding on in our lives to things that God has said, we've got to let go. And you know, one of the beautiful things about forgiveness, and when you ask for forgiveness, I I heard years ago that it is a release, that you're releasing this right that you held on to, that said, Mm -hmm. I should be able to be bitter toward you, but I'm going to give that to God. And that's what happens. It's a great exchange. And we get peace and enjoy in our hearts for knowing that we've obeyed God when we do. This is really great, Melinda. Give us the website that you have or or how okay. people can get a hold of your book. Okay. It's Melinda, M-E-L-I-N-D-A, cares, C-A-R-E-S dot com. And you can get the book and or hold of the book or get some information about it. Um also, one thing that I just wanted to let you know that in October of 20, um, October 28th of 2020, just recently, the Survey of Love and Forgiveness came out in American society, and it said that 94% of Americans wanted more forgiveness in this country. Wow. Okay, I need the 94% of people to step up and forgive. Right. We need to be, we need to be cleansed of the anger and all that we have. And once that happens, we'll love one another. We'll be able to get along. And that's what we need today. I agree. Melinda, thank you for being with me. We'll have to have you back on. I've got to check this book out again. It is called The Common Denominator is Unforgiveness. That is correct. Thank you so much for being with me today. This is Afternoons with Mike right here on The Shepherd. Pastors and financial leaders, do you need expert accounting or tax help? Do you have payroll or 1099 questions? Do you need a ministry expert to help you acquire real estate for your next project? If the answer is yes, yes, and yes, visit PetraWorldwide.org. Petra Worldwide has been strengthening ministries to transform humanity since 2007. Visit PetraWorldwide.org or call 855-481-9095. 
Palm Beach Atlantic University Orlando offers three distinct areas of study. An evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling, an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new Daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. Thank you for joining us today here in our next segment. I have a, a man with us today that is an author. He's involved in a ministry of drama and travels all over the place, uh, not just uh, in the U.S., but overseas as well with his dramatic presentations. He is a podcaster, and I'm talking today to Dennis Cole. Welcome, my friend. Oh, thank you, Mike. Great to be here. And I understand you and I were together, but not together. We were in the same building, but our paths did not cross. I'm very grateful and honored to uh, have these uh, 17 minutes with you now. Well, it's really great to uh, hear about what you're doing. Uh, on your website, you do have this thing called the Narrow Gate Theater. We'll talk and give the web address coming up in just a moment. But you're all about dramatic Christian ministry, and you have in there, welcome to Hollywood. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I've seen it spelled that way before or said that way before. Yeah, a little well, hyphen in the middle there, a too. Little, a, a little hyphen in the middle. <laughs> My goodness, man. Yeah. So, you uh, know, it, it's funny, uh, Mike. Sometimes, and, you know, it's rightfully so, you know, if, if a Hollywood guy, you know, loses something, he can't get that, you know, he doesn't take that part or, or he gets ostracized by Hollywood for something he did. Um, my heart though is for the ones that never got to that point where Hollywood would reject them because they rejected Hollywood at the very entry level. Hmm. I mm-hmm. call the, I call these people the unlikely people. Okay. And there's all kinds of unlikely people like the shepherds that announced Jesus birth, but you don't know their names. Right. Not the very, Bible doesn't give them their names. Yeah, They're not well known. <laughs> and it's amazing. The, the, the truth that's there for the people that have this understanding and maybe have walked away from any kind of uh, temptation where they'd have to walk away later on, five years later, 55 years later in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of, a lot of that. I call it, you know, Hollywood. And and I I tell people, I don't want an agent. I don't, you know, I've done some things with David White and Pure Flicks and I've done some evangelical films, but by and large, I don't really want the industry at all. I, I've been doing, I've done about 2,000 events under Dramatic Christian Ministries and Narragate Theater in the last 20 some odd years. And it's just so precious. It's so personal and it's so public. God speaks to me. It's not a performance. It's like, boom. It's very, very, um, who? You're in the present. I used to be a pastor, so I I can appreciate the application of the word just happening uh, in doing these, like doing Sermon on the Mount. I've done that about 400 times. Wow. Now, is this yeah, a one-man like presentation that you do? Uh, that's that's a great question, too. Dramatic Christian Ministries is my one-man presentations, and Narragate Theater is when I use a cast uh, of one, two, I mean, of two, three, four. Sometimes I do a big production. I've done Scrooge, our own evangelical um, a take on that, Ebenezer Scrooge. I do, some, I do a lot of writing. And um, uh, some plays, like Unlikely People, I do that at Christmas time. There's about seven or eight people giving their testimonies. So it's Narragate Theater is when I use more than just me. Mm-hmm. Okay. The Narragate News is something that I've been doing since the church has closed in March of 2020. I started doing Narragate News where I, where I integrate uh, current events with the reality of God's theater, which is God's media. Uh, the Bible is very, very much today. It's very much happening. And when we understand the, the word is inerrant, it doesn't, you know, you don't change any words, but you understand that the word of God is improvisational. The Holy Spirit's improvisational. And that improvisational reality is the application of the word. Well, how did you get and, to doing this in the first place? <laughs> I was in Woodstock, New York. Uh, you know, you, you don't go to Woodstock to become a Christian, but that's what happened to me. It wasn't the concert. But it was, a, it was a festival. My wife and I, well, she wasn't my wife at the time. And quite frankly, we were living together. And uh, we both went to the altar together at, at a little church in Woodstock, New York. We had a, a newspaper 
thing that we were doing and we had uh, new age people all over the place, tarot card readers. And, but we went forward, uh, uh, in, in the eighties in, in, in Woodstock, New York. Wow. And everything changed. I went from career to calling completely. Wow. Were you involved in drama at that point? Yeah, I was. I, I took up acting one when I was in college at Northeastern University. And finally, I, I, I found a course that I, that, I, that I really liked. And, I, and my intelligence kind of increased. I, my confidence increased because I started to work from the inside out. Uh, the, that's, what I, that's how I do acting. And acting one taught me that. And then I just kept, kept developing it. And as a matter of fact, when I got saved, I, felt, I, felt, I, I, I used to say I found the perfect script for an actor, the Bible. Yeah, that's right. And they, it's interesting that we even have a book in there, The Acts of the Apostles, right? So, oh, I get a lot out of that. We do meetings uh, every other week here in Albuquerque. I'm not trying to pastor again, but I do bring people together, and we call it Acts 242, uh-huh. which is interaction, right. which is a valuable way of learning and teaching. By the way, the Bible to me is not a manual. The Bible is Emmanuel. God is with us, and that's one of the, uh, the insights that we have. Not because I'm so smart, but because I've done the Bible so many for so many years now, I I started saying, "Hey, I'm not going to play Jesus today. I'm going to ask Him to play me." Hmm. Hmm. When you go, what's uh, what kind of a, a crowd do you find in a church where you've never been before, or let's say it's a, a city that you've never traveled before? What's the reception like in 2023? That's a, another great question, Mike. They the people come to me and they say, "I never saw anything like that." I, I never saw anything like that. And I, I don't think it's because I'm such a great actor. I think it's the approach I take, though. I'm just definitely wanting the Holy Spirit to speak through me with perfect prophecy. And what happens is if I get it, if I'm receiving it, I know they are. Mm-hmm. So if I slow myself down and, I, and I'm going through it myself, um, it's, it's amazing. I can tell you stories about you know, things I'm going through while I'm up there, and I'm going, oh, my I had to forgive this guy, you know, you know, uh, when you come to the altar, you know, <laughs> you have something against your brother. I never forget that day. And I said, oh, no, I can't do that. I, I have to stop the whole thing. I am totally blocked against this certain person. And then within one second, the Lord just took me through complete forgiveness for this guy as I'm doing the presentation. I mean, you wouldn't Amazing. have known this, but my first segment, I was on the line with a, a person just a moment ago that was talking about this very issue and wrote a book on uh, the common denominator being unforgiveness. So that's something oh, that very is pertinent. so, so basic. Yeah. We've got to forgive each other, right? Oh, I, I think it's, you know, there's a heavy, remember Jesus didn't say you are the heavy of the world. <laughs> he <laughs> said, you're the light of the world right. because we do things like drop the heavy, which is unforgiveness. That's primary. Mm-hmm. Well, that's I so mean, another thing about forgiveness Jesus will never endorse sin. A lot of people don't want to forgive because they think they're endorsing the sin that was done to them or the sin that they did even. Mm-hmm. But no, Jesus will never endorse sin. He says, love your enemies. But he also says, don't cast your pearls before pigs or swine. So, you know, you got to find the truth there. He, he, he'll never endorse sin, but he, we definitely need to forgive. You know, I've been at a lot of big conferences. I think of um, of some of the ones uh, that I've attended before that would have an element of acting in it, a skit. And, you know, churches, uh, that was the buzzword a number of years ago. They would yeah. have a skit. And in the skit, it would be a dramatic presentation, always aimed at a single, maybe a single important theme that might have played well into the sermon or whatever. Would that be something like what you do? Or when you go in, is it, uh, is it all about the, just the general word of the gospel? What, what would you do? I wouldn't call it a skit. They used to call it a skit. And I noticed that the folks that invite me don't call it skits anymore. I, I, I suppose, uh, cause what I'm doing is, is not a skit. It's not a little, you know, it, it's actually the Bible. It's just that the Bible is being done as Emmanuel, not the manual. Mm-hmm. Now, it sounds funny or sarcastic, but I, I mean it. Well, we're trained, I, and I'm a seminary guy too. We're trained in outer directed thinking. Uh, we're trained in theology without, without application. We are trained that way. Mm-hmm. We have to untrain ourselves. We have to, we have to understand that we are generally, mm-hmm. the reason the world is so messed up, uh, the, the witness, if you will, of, of the church or Christians or 
from the Holy Spirit is that we're so out of directed that we that we think if we say something, we've applied the word. But the book of James says if you if you if you hear the word only, you deceive yourself. Yeah, yeah. And that's and it, it's it's like a it's like a caterpillar that never got a chance to fly because somebody corrected them uh, in the process of breaking through. It's painful mm-hmm. to get healed. It's painful to learn. But there's a there's a certain element, and we I'm, t- I'm telling you, God's in control. Everything's fine. Don't get into politics. All these phrases are out there, and they don't make any sense to me. They really don't. I, I I'm not anti-church. I'm very pro-church. But my, my campaign is that the church be organic, then organized in that order. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that by and large the American church today? Uh, is preaching the right word in the right way? It's, re- it's preaching the right word, but not the right way. No, we, 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 there's a, such an emphasis on the Greek word or the Hebrew word. And, and little, for instance, uh, you could talk about Jehovah's Witnesses and they don't really love the Bible. They, you know, the, the watchtower is their thing. But I can go through with you with different denominations. I've been, I've been in about 100. I can tell you right now that almost every group or movement has got a little handbook mm-hmm. on the side. Right. And we go by the handbook. The handbook is the culture, it's the mores, it's the customs of that particular group. And it's, it's like this, uh, Mike. If I go to a good restaurant and they show me the menu, I say, wow, that looks really good. And when they bring back the food, they bring me back another menu. They say, we gave you a better menu. Look at this now. I said, yeah, what about the food? He said, no, 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 I'm giving you the menu. <laughs> the menu's not the <laughs> no, deal. I want the food. Real food. My <laughs> body is real food. That's right. Real drink. No, <laughs> and, and we don't. And so, you know, I, it, this is passion of mine. I think the, the passion for the Bible, discovering the Bible as it really is, Emmanuel, not the Emmanuel. You wrote a I book know. called The Man. Tell us about that. Yeah. yeah. The man, when hope is all you have, is like a living metaphor of where I'm at right now. Uh, I wrote a play called The Emmaus Road. We first developed it in 2014. And I've worked with several different casts in several different states and and very currently this year with a new cast this year right here in Albuquerque. But from that play, The Emmaus Road, and in fact, I did a little film, but we have to reshoot it. But I've been fascinated by The Emmaus Road for one reason. They couldn't recognize Jesus because he didn't look like Jim Caviezel. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, the guy that played him in, plays him in The Chosen or whatever. And and I believe Cleopas' problem was that they had so figured out the Messiah in their own head that he's supposed to be this and that. No matter what Jesus said, including, I will resurrect, I will come back on the third day, nobody remembered that. Not one person. Even Mary Magdalene went to the tomb for a dead person, not a resurrected person. They all missed it because they all were looking for God in their own image. And we do it today. Oh, my, my, my. There's a parallel between those three days uh, from the death to the to the resurrection, that it's so much like today, and and we and you know like one of my lines in the play is, oh, what did he have to knock over the money changers' tables? Did he have to call them whitewashed tombs? Couldn't he just get along? And look at the, look at a Christian, you know that really really was bearing fruit. But somebody might say, yes, but the but the uh, the left wing people didn't didn't like you. They they were offended. You did it wrong. Wow. <laughs> no. Yeah. No, we, we, we've gone the other way so much, Mike. It's, it's like, whoa. And I, my status as an unlikely person, <laughs> take it the right way, it's, it's, it's good because I can see things where they are. I don't have a lot of stardom. I don't have a lot of money. I'm not poor. I, you know, we get, we get out there. But the point is the people on the street, the unlikely people are the people. And this book, uh, the man, you got these 10 people don't know anything. And the man is showing up in 2023 just like he did in the Mays Road, but all over the world. And he doesn't never looks like what we think Jesus. In fact, he doesn't even, they don't even know who he is. They call him the man. And he progressively reveals himself to these 10 people progressively. These are desperate people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he reveals himself. And then as the, as the story goes on, they start asking questions about the vaccination, about COVID, about what's going on in the world. And he's got real answers. You know, he says, no, this isn't political. There's a spiritual oppression on planet Earth. It's from Satan, and he works through in- institutions like globalists and and politicians and rhinos and Democrats. It's all there, and 
there, there's almost no forum in the church for people to talk about this, but I, I do talk about it in spiritual terms and in pragmatic terms. Mm -hmm. So I wrote this book and I, and I, you know, I, I obviously want to fish in, in a pond that, uh, that I haven't fished in before, if you will. And I want the book to get out there and, and I can wait patiently, but I've enjoyed that. I wrote the book. It's still, you know, it just was published this year and we went to NRB, we did a book signing, but it's very, very a metaphor, living metaphor for what I see the world is at today. We're, we're rejecting Jesus and we don't even know it. Mm -hmm. And it's, and it, it's not, it's not a, a dead, it's not a dead trail here. The hope is that when we find him, Jesus says the best wine is saved for the end. There's no doubt in my mind, we're in the very last days, the last mo moments of that. And right now I'm telling you, cause it's all global. All the stuff that was having a Sodom and Gomorrah, well, it's all over the world today. You so, know, uh, yeah. the mark of the beast is all over the world. I mean, the technology's there. So we're really living there, but the best wine is saved for the end. When, when we realize that we've been doing God's work for him and not from him, but for him, not from him. Then we repent. And I'm, I'm still in repentance. I'm in repentance the last three or four years. Right. <laughs> that's my revival. It's, it, uh, that's the part I love. Got one minute I, I left here, Dennis. Got one minute left. Tell us what uh, your favorite character that you've played from this wonderful book. You know, the Bible's been called the greatest story ever told. Uh, that is so true. What's the favorite part of the the Bible, the character from the Bible that you love? Uh, maybe the one I'm doing lately, the Cleopas story. I, I'm doing the Emmaus Road. When I don't have a cast, I do the, all the parts, and I tell the Cleopas story. And uh, Cleopas might be my favorite because he's so, so contemporary. He's so wrong, and then he gets it right, and it's mm. beautiful. Mm. And that's my hope. Uh, the book can be bought at advbookstore.com, advbookstore.com. That's uh, Advantage Books. And I would love to come to your church, Pastor, Pastor so-and-so. Uh, you can reach us at uh, uh, DC Ministries at dcministries.com. M-I-N-I-S-T-R-I-E-S.com. Okay. That's our website. You can please email us at dcmngt at gmail.com. All right. The name of the book is The Man When Hope is all we have. Dennis Cole, thank you for being with me today. Thank you, Michael. God bless you. God bless you. And friends, we'll be back in a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike. EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs. With over 40 years experience, EC Waters is a top trained comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, call 407-603-9144 or visit ecwaters.com. Here we go, segment three, and on the line with me is Joel Rissinger. Joel has been a pastor, he's been a church leader, he is an author, and he has a lot to say about what's going on in our country today, uh, especially to pastors and to those that are believers. And again, he's been on my program before. Joel, welcome back. It is so great to be with you and with your audience. Thank you for, for having me. It's a real blessing. Now, we've talked about this before, a couple of things. Uh, and, and in fact, uh, I, I laughed a moment ago because I, I just blew your name uh, not <laughs> before we began this. But your name, uh, your name is similar to a friend of mine that I had when I was in high school. And he pronounced it completely differently than what you do. So you have a little story to help people remember how to say your name, right? Well, I do. I always, my dad started this, and I just carried it on. Um, he used to say the name is Rissinger, like Kissinger, but with an R. And then he would say, we have his nose. We almost have his name, but we don't have his money. Two out of three. <laughs> Two out of three is not bad. Not you know, bad. That's not great. Bad, yes. But uh, my goodness, that's you also have this marvelous voice. And uh, a very radio sounding. So if you ever wanted a new career, uh, you might want to look toward that, my man. Well, I appreciate that. I've done a little radio dabbling here and there, and I love it. Um, and and they tell me that I have the radio face to go with it. Mike. So it's <laughs> kind of like a package package deal. But no, we uh, did a little uh, DJ stuff in college. And then um, off and on through the years, you know, little bits and pieces. I had a Christian talk show for a while on a network in New England uh, called the Life Changing Radio Network. And um, 
I, I, you know, I've prayed about that and said, God, whatever you want in the future, maybe, you know, we'll, we'll see. We do a lot of traveling now, which as you know, makes it a little bit tricky. Uh, but I, I love it. I love the venue. I love the audiences. I love the interaction that happens many times on radio that you don't have with television and other venues. So yeah, it's, it's always a pleasure to be on a show like yours. Well, thank you. It's great to have you uh, with us on, on this program. And I remember the last time we did talk about the fact that you do that kind of travel. You travel all over to different churches. You're speaking to different congregations and different uh, groups within churches. And again, you're a pastor with a number of years. Was it always in the New England area? Yeah, pretty much. Yes. Um, we, out of, we went to Bible college in California, but we started as volunteers in uh, churches in New Jersey and then Western New York. And um, I was working in business full time and we were doing kind of youth, youth ministry uh, for several years, my wife and I together. And then 1992, I was hired uh, full time. Uh, by a church uh, circuit. It was actually three churches in a little church circuit in New England, uh, Massachusetts, Western Massachusetts, and then uh, Central Connecticut. And I've been in that neighborhood ever since, Mm -hmm. pretty much. Uh, But now we travel and encourage and uh, speak and write and cheerlead for pastors, leaders, missionaries, Pretty much up and down the East Coast. Uh, we're right now, as we speak, we're in Ontario, Canada, Northern Ontario, Canada, and we do some work in Africa as well. We spent uh, six weeks here uh, this spring in um, uh, Livingston, Zambia area, and wow. also Windhoek, Namibia. We did a little bit in Botswana and and mostly touring there and um, other countries as well. But that that. Those two, uh, Zambia and Namibia, were our focus. And we try to go back there once a year if we can afford it. It's not cheap to get there, but the people are so hungry for the word, and there's such such a need for pastors because many of them never were trained formally. So, you know, they're, they're hungry for anything we can bring, and, and we just love to serve them wherever we can. Now, what led you to leave a local congregation, or in your case, you said you were ministering to a, a small circuit, of churches, what led you to want to be on the road and let's say go with this more of an itinerant type of traveling ministry? Yeah, I love the word itinerant. I joke about that now because my wife and I sold our home and we we live full time in an RV, so we are mobile. Oh, you're and, very and, itinerant. Then. <laughs> yeah, very itinerant. So we say that we say we're itinerant. We're itinerant ministers, which means we're gypsies with Bibles. Like that's what that means, uh, pretty much. You I love know. it. <laughs> Pilgrims. Uh, oh, but my for, goodness. Karen and I knew for probably the last five to 10 years of our staff ministry in Connecticut that God was going to have us do something with the body of Christ at large, the church capital C, if you will. Mm-hmm. We just didn't know for sure what it was. And we weren't sure what we would contribute. You know, we, I was never a mega church pastor, you know. I never took a church from five people to 50,000 or whatever the, you know, the going numbers are for mega churches. So I didn't know if anyone would care or, or want help from me. Why would they, you know, was sort of my attitude. What would I be bring to the table? But God showed us that um, sometimes the struggles and the challenges that we faced over the last 30, 40 years were the very things that were going to make, uh, create a connection and a bridge to leaders who also might be struggling with small, mid-sized churches, wondering why they couldn't get it past a certain point, especially post-COVID. So many pastors were quitting, retiring early, et cetera. And so um, it became really clear that our, our role was to primarily help them and their churches, you know, work and encourage, cheerlead, tell corny dad jokes, whatever it took, you know, to try to help more of them stay in the ministry. And uh, so that's what we do, and we love it. We're blessed to be a part of that. Now, you mentioned COVID, and that obviously was a game changer in so many ways in 2020. And this thing comes around. The pandemic is in full force, not only in America, but overseas as well. And a lot of churches, you're exactly right. They went through some of the most difficult days. A few that I'm aware of actually grew, but many kind of uh, saw their their congregations shrink down. And yeah. even now, all of these years later, 
They're yeah. not quite back up to where they were pre-COVID. And, and even those who are, what we've seen is a trend. And again, this is, you know, I guess somewhat subjective because it's just our observation up and down the East Coast and, and, and maybe, maybe into Ontario a little bit. What we've seen is that some have bounced back to pre-COVID levels or maybe even a little larger, uh, a little more attendance. But most, that, most of that growth is new 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 people new mm-hmm. converts so they're young people often with with kids and you know because they're new believers or not yet believers they're not tithing so many of them have seen numbers bounce back in in terms of attendance but not budget and that's another strain for pastors who you know many times are underpaid to begin with when you know you take a 30% hit or 40% hit in your budget uh, but there's still as many people to serve as there were before. Um, that creates, you know, a pretty intense amount of stress. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we've we've witnessed that and tried to help with that too where we can. Now, what uh, word of encouragement do you bring a pastor who is fighting it? They're, he's doing all that he can do in his mind. And I'm sure that we all have blind spots. All mm-hmm. pastors are, are maybe not seeing things completely as they should be seeing in terms of their either their preaching or the, the diet of what they're, what they're preaching, their, their subject matter, etc. But a, what, a lot of them are just trying to figure it out, trying to scratch their heads and saying, what is, is happening here in the church mm-hmm. in, this, uh, in this day and age where so yeah. many people are, are leaving church? We hear these news reports about a declining attendance in churches yeah. all over the place. Yeah. What, what do you well, say to them? Well, well, there's a couple things. One is just this awareness that they're not alone. Um, I'm working with a pastor right now um, here in Canada who feel, you know, had had many of those very thoughts and concerns and had thought about, you know, leaving the ministry and, you know, just bringing them stories, truth from other places and saying, listen, this you're not alone. You're not the only one feeling this way. This is not you. You know, the, the problem is not you. Now, I, I've had to bring that to churches, too, because I've seen Sadly, some churches fire their pastor thinking that, well, the numbers are down. It must be his fault. Let's get someone new. And and I've actually, one case, I said to the pastor, I can get you today 20 signatures of pastors and leaders from other churches who will say that the very same thing is happening to them. Uh, but he didn't want to fight it. He didn't want to, he had kind of given up. And unfortunately, he did leave that church. But, mm-hmm. but, um, but uh, you know, bringing them the truth that you're not alone, that others are going through this, this is not a a personal or individual failure on your part. Uh, we, we Let's join hands, let's link arms, let's get through this together. That's huge. And I think the other thing, and I, I've written a couple of books along these lines. I wrote one I think you and I talked about last time called Things Your Pastor Would Tell You If He Could. Or, or you know, Yes, we did talk about that. Yeah, well, Things Your Pastor Would Love to Say, I think is what, what I titled it, yeah. Um, and then I wrote a follow-up that just came out recently called Things Your Church Would Tell You If They Could. And this is the response from congregations to their pastor. And it's taken from uh, multiple conversations with churches up and down the East Coast, but also um, social media. You know, when I when I published the first book, I got a lot of comments from people who I think assumed that that the book was about things the pastor wanted to talk about biblically, but wouldn't or couldn't because it wasn't woke or politically correct. That's not what the book was about, really. It was more about understanding things pastors go through and creating some empathy from their flock. But because of the massive number of notes I received with people saying, well, tell them, no, not to hold back. You know, give us the truth. Preach the gospel. Preach the word. Don't don't be woke. Don't be politically correct. Don't avoid certain topics. Tell us this. Tell us that. I thought, well, you know what? I'm including that in the second book. And I've encouraged pastors to be bold in, in teaching the truth and not to shy away because of what they hear in the news or the media or because the numbers are down, because quite frankly, people are more hungry than ever to know what is it that God says about, you name it, whatever topic is hot in the news today. Not that we're preaching political platforms, but when we preach the whole council of scripture, we're going to deal with issues that are really on people's minds and they want to know. And will everyone agree? No, of course they won't. However, um, a lot of them will be thankful 
that they're hearing the straight truth with no holds barred. And so we've encouraged pastors to do the opposite of what they might feel like. You know, they might feel like shutting down or, or leaving the ministry or just going silent. And we've encouraged them to speak out, to, to be loving but bold, and um, to realize they're not alone, that, that others are doing that. And I think the results are surprising in that, you know, people do warm up to that, to, to the pastor talking boldly about cult, things that are hot in culture, but from a biblical perspective, here's what the word says. Mm-hmm. And, and it's time, I think, for the church to be able to become relevant again. I think the reason that we've somewhat struggled yet, and, and this is true too, we haven't seen massive persecution in the body of Christ, but we, we've also been kind of looked at as irrelevant by our culture. Part of the reason is because we've gone inward and we've been self-conscious. We've felt beaten down and discouraged. If God's people stand up, become that light, you know, on a hill again, a shining city on a hill, we do it with love and grace, but we do it with, you know, firmness and and boldness. I think we'll, we may see some revival. I think we might see some of these trends reverse. And so we encourage pastors along those lines when they might feel like doing just the opposite and giving up. I love it. And we need that kind of encouragement. Churches do, pastors do. Uh, we've got one minute left and you've re- you've mentioned a few things about the woke culture already uh, and how a lot of pastors are maybe fearful to kind of even deal with this yes. uh, because of the political correctness and uh, maybe some ideas. What one thing from your books, either one of them, could you uh, use to share like in a, in 30 seconds now, what's the number one need that pastors and congregations need to be aware of? I, I think we need, people need the gospel. And by that, I don't just mean a 30 second elevator pitch of the gospel. I mean the full, you know, story of who Jesus is, what he taught and what he stood for and how he lived and encourage people to follow and live that out. And, and people want that no holds barred. I think when we preach it, we'll see fruit born. And so, uh, yeah, we encourage that and cheerlead for that wherever we can. That's great. Joel Rissinger, I really appreciate your being with me. Give us your web address and how people can find your books. Oh, I appreciate that. So books are on Amazon and Kindle, probably the best places to find them, although they're available in other places as well. Um, our website is joelrissinger.com. So it's J-O-E-L-R-I-S-S-I-N-G-E-R. Dot com, and you can also email us at joel at joelrissinger.com. We love to hear from folks, love to answer questions, uh, come and speak, teach, do whatever we can to help the body of Christ wherever God leads. Thank you, Joel, for being with me. And friends, thank you as well for joining us on Afternoons with Mike.